0: see out in the dirt, building a, a sand mound and all this stuff with his back turned towards the ball. So I'm always like, Declan, man, get up, dude, because if one of those kids actually gets a hold of the ball, it's going to hit you in the head and you're going to be hurt. And I said, not only that, I got to deal with mama then worrying about you. I said, come on, man, get up. But it got me thinking. One of the coaches there always makes uh, a, a jab at me, uh, making fun, so to speak, um, with me, with Declan. Sometimes when I'm not there, or I'm on the other side of the field, he'll walk by and he'll say, hey, Declan, stop acting like your daddy and get up. And, and is that, I mean, not the truth. Um, so Raven, in our house, we have this joke that kind of goes around. Uh, if the kids do something bad or do something um, hard-headed, they get it from me. So mothers today, we know, uh, y'all are the perfect ones and y'all, y'all are the ones that they get all their good behavior from. Uh, But my boys, they take their hard-headedness, stubbornness, all that from me. Um, But it also paints a picture for us this morning that we're going to see. Is as parents, we present an example to our kids. Do we or do we not? Brandon doesn't have a godly line or a godly uh, family tree, so to speak. So for us in our family, I'm trying to start all that anew, not knowing what a godly father truly looks like or a godly mother. Raven does have that background, but I don't. So it's so vitally important for me to place this example before my kids each and every day of what it means to truly follow after Christ. And hopefully one day they'll carry that on to their kids and on and on and on. And one day I pray to God that when I'm on my deathbed, I have a generation and another generation of kids and grandkids and all those things that look back and they can see how I was faithful because of what God had done in my life. Um, So, the example that is set before us this morning, though, is a little different. So, as we may take after the example of our parents, and I would say as we look at this text, um, we kind of do that this morning. Uh, If you look back, when we get frustrated, when we get angry about some things, we're probably taking after mom and dad. Or we're just following what the world has kind of put in our mind. But the example that we see that is set before us this morning is Christ. So, if you will look at verse eighteen with me, uh, to give you the context here, uh, 1 Peter chapter two, verse eighteen: Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So, remember that as we go into verse twenty-one. What Peter is going to talk about here this morning is when we suffer unjustly. All right, we know the Scriptures have promised us that suffering will come, but the context in which we read 1 Peter chapter two here, verses twenty-one through twenty-five, is suffering unjustly. Okay, and I've got plenty of stories to tell you, so please bear with me. But as we look at suffering unjustly, look at verse twenty-one. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. So this morning, before we go any deeper into this text, verse 21 gives us our first point. And it's a point that I think, I'm I'm so thankful it is the very first one that Peter gives us here. Is what is it? For you have been called. Christ has called us to suffer unjustly. So Jesus tells his disciples in John 15, right, that suffering is will come your way because the world hates me, it's also going to hate you. And I would say even deeper than that, what does Paul tell Timothy? For indeed, all those who desire to live a godly life will face persecution. They will face suffering in those ways. And we can keep going. First Thessalonians 3, it says that Paul, we, he says we were destined for this suffering. So remember that this morning. When we suffer unjustly, Christ has called us to it. There is no denying that. We are called to suffer unjustly. And I would say look at this word called here this morning with me. It is uh, seen about 139 different times in the scriptures, uh, in, in the New Testament. And do you know what it represents most of the time? If you look at the Gospel of Matthew, when he calls his disciples, it's the same word. When he called them. And think about that this morning as we look at the beautiful picture of when Jesus called us, when Jesus called his disciples. Is that not something we praise God about this morning? Amen. Yes, he called me. Yes, he saved me. And he did it with his disciples. All right? And we could continue to go on down the line, but the one thing that we will not sit here and say amen to this morning is to suffer, to suffer in unjustly. But I believe we should. So as we remember our calling... Um, I had two guys, and I was telling John this Sunday, uh, and John was not lying. It was about 5.30 before we left his house the, uh, the other night, Sunday afternoon. Um, and it was all theological conversation, and just talking about, you know, cool things God has done. And we actually found out we had a guy in common. So one of the men uh, who discipled me had been a pastor for 30-something years. And after I came to know the Lord, this guy was just a member of our church at Hartford Baptist. And he grabbed me, Raven, and two others that came with us at this time. He says, "Come on," he's like, "I'm I'm going to teach you." Um, and he was down here, and I always asked him, "Why Why haven't you become a pastor down here?" His response is what hurts me, and even to this day, Pat's gone on to be with the Lord. Now, um, this man has done mission work in Nepal. All this, I mean, just a faithful man, but because of some of his theological views that maybe don't line up with what tradition says around here, Um, he was not accepted. And and Pat always, he never complained. He never said anything, you know, derogatory about other churches. I'd never heard him utter one bad word about anything like that. But what Pat demonstrated to me all those mornings in Hartford at Hardy's, having breakfast with him as I'm asking him theological questions um, and all this stuff, one of the things that Pat demonstrated to me was he remembered one thing. He remembered who's the one that called him, and he remembered why he was here. He remembered his calling. He remembered that God had called him to be a pastor. And I know Pat, he, he eventually got a church um, and had some heartache there. Uh, the last time I saw Pat was when he cleared out his office at that church, and he left me half of his, half of his library. Me and my buddy split his library um, that day, and that's the last time I saw Pat. And, and, and I look, and as I'm looking at this text of, of how... You know, even church can be cruel to a pastor. Because what we remember is Dr. Allen, the first Sunday I was here, he talked about how they had been in Dothan, correct, and how he'd went to all these different churches and he finally went out to his barn one Sunday and was weeping because of what he saw. That was my first Sunday sitting in the back, and Robbie Head was sitting there looking at me because he knew I was in the same spot. So, Grace. I mean this with all my heart. I am thankful for you and thankful for what y'all have been uh, meant to me the last few months. Um, But I look at Pat and, and I look and see how he kept going. And I think for all of us, as we are called by God to suffer unjustly, we must keep going. But that brings us to the next point. So look at the next thing. So, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So that's the next point. Christ is our example to follow. So as we have been called to suffer, the next point that we see, though, is Christ has left us an example to follow Him. And when we look at this, when it says here, leaving you an example, uh, it is actually one of, we could say, like footprints. And I think of footprints on a beach. um, Without the waves that are going to wash them away, okay? So just think of that. Walking in step with those steps. And and that's what he is saying here. This example is something that we should follow to the T what Christ did. Not something on our own accord. Because what we're tempted to do is we'll read this passage and we'll say, that's talking about Jesus. I can't do this when I face the unjust suffering that I face. Yes, you can. I I had a guy one day tell me, um, at our work at Eagle Eye, um, we do devotions every morning. And I did one on the, the grace of God. And something had happened, uh, and he had to, to kind of bring the hammer down. And he made the comment, he's like, listen, um, I am not gracious like Brandon had just said. He's like, I'm not the Lord Jesus Christ, so know that. And it kind of hit me. But you think about it. We all kind of do that in some ways here. We kind of diminish that I can't do this. Only Christ could have fulfilled this perfectly. And we know we can't do it perfectly, but we should strive to be this example uh, in everything that we do. So as Jesus here is our example to follow, and we walk in his footpaths when we face uh, unjust uh, suffering. But then he goes on to say, so that you might follow in his steps. And then in verse 22, he committed no sin. So as we follow in his footsteps, now Peter gives us this account of what it was like for Jesus um, while he was here on the earth. And that brings us to the next little sub-point there in verse 22. In him there was no sin. Y'all, that's a big deal this morning. In Christ this morning there was no sin. That is beautiful for us as we sit in here. Because he is the only one that could have done this perfectly. And because of what he has done, we stand here now. On his, following in his footsteps, following the path that he has made for us. But he committed no sin. And, and as we look at the life of Jesus, uh, you can only imagine if we were put in the, the situation in which he was in the last week of his life. How would you have responded? What would you have done? I think of it like this. When we have injustice that that comes our way, Um, I had it happen this week. Uh, When I asked John, I said, I don't know really what to preach on. He said, something you're going through. Um, I really don't want to be going through this. But this week, I had something happen to where it was like, just another reminder. Christ didn't open his mouth. Christ was perfect in all his ways and how he handled those who reviled him and all those things. But think about this. So Jesus had no sin to take away. Therefore, because of that, he could take away our sin and take it upon himself. But now, look at the next part of this verse. It says, neither was deceit found in his mouth. I struggled with that one this week. Because when somebody does me wrong, do you know my first inclination. I'm either going to get even, and I'm strong-willed, so know that this morning. I am very strong-willed. My wife has to to bring me back quite a bit. But it is one of those things. I want to get even. And sometimes I even want to say something that might cut. Uh, And and I think we're all guilty of this at some point or another. Um, To let you know, uh, you know, being a pastor, so y'all, man, Dr. Allen is special. And not only that, but the fact of what he does, the fact of what John does, the fact of what Cliff does. Look at your pastors and be thankful God has entrusted these men to you, that God has given them to you. Because I will say, uh, in a traditional church setting, do you know what the, the best time to be a part of something is? A business meeting. Correct? Uh, if you've been a part of a traditional church, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it is not fun. So imagine being, I'm 32 now, 27, leading one of my first business meetings. Uh, and not knowing what I'm about to walk into. And and I had seen some bad ones uh, where we were just members of. But to tell you this, um, a few years ago, I experienced a bad one. One that hurt me. And uh, even to this day, uh, there's still regret on my part. And and it it, it was kind of like this. Um, As a young pastor, you're eager to do things And after a certain amount of time, you believe you have built trust with your people. And you know that, okay, it's time to start implementing some changes that maybe need to happen. And I I remember getting up in that business meeting after about four years of being there and saying, hey, this is the path I believe the Lord wants us to go down. And these are the things that we need to do. Only to have people stand up and question my character say things about me that were not true. You know how bad that hurts when all I'm trying to do is, is to love these people and to be there for them, to have the people turn on you, to have the people that you are caring about in that moment speak things about you. And it was one of those things that I, I'm glad I didn't see it that night. Raven, at, during that business meeting, I actually got up and walked out the back door and was in the bathroom crying. And I, I, I'm, I'm thankful praise be to God that I did not see it that night because I know what would have happened. My speech, none of that would have been would have been holy because that's one thing, you don't mess with my family. And one of those things, though, that I, that I learned through that is we, we had a particular person at that, that business meeting that hadn't been in a while and had to give their input. And you know what Brandon said in that moment? I lashed out. So when my character was questioned, when my judgments were questioned, Brandon had deceit in his mouth. He lashed back out and said, No, like, who are you to say this? Who are you to do this? So even a pastor cannot fulfill this perfectly. But it makes me appreciate what Jesus did that much more. That he was without sin. He was perfect. And yet, what did he do? He did nothing. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Can you imagine that? Not opening your mouth, not, not trying to get even with anybody. But yet, following the example of Christ, we see that he committed no sin. And when you see the word deceit there, right? No underhandedness, no uh, slight of trickery, no, nothing going on behind the back, so to speak. So none of that was found in Jesus' mouth. But I will say too, as we look at Jesus, the next point I have for you is, his silence demonstrates something else to us this morning. It demonstrates perfect control of the situation. His silence demonstrates perfect control of the situation. Look at... And you can just flip over in your Bible, but look at 1 Peter 3. And look at verse 10. 10 through 12 with me. For whoever desires to love life and to see good days... Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do good and let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter here, of course, uh, writing about suffering for righteousness sake. But, But take that to heart for us as we face unjust suffering, is that whoever desires to love life, to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let us look to Jesus who was our example and walk in His footpaths, not trying to cut others down. Because we've all been there, correct? Amen. Can I get a a louder amen on that? All of us have been there. Some of us have been there quite a few times this week. So this applies to all of us in here. Is how do we react? What do we do when someone unjustly treat, uh, treats us in an unjustly manner that causes us to suffer in those ways? And this morning, if your first inclination is to go right back to what the flesh wants you to do, stop and look to Christ and His example this morning that He clearly gives us here. And may we follow it step by step. And why is that? If you look at verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Keep your, conduct honor, uh, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that they may speak against you as evildoers. And that they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. That is why we do good. That is why we don't speak when someone reviles against us. Because we are trying to show them through our good works the glory of God on the day of his visitation. So the next thing though. Um, and you don't have to turn there. To just show you how Jesus even did this even more. Verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. So think about this. In Luke 23, Jesus is before Herod. Um, and he's already Pilate has already sent him that way. What does he not do when he's questioned? He doesn't answer. He doesn't answer. Herod's saying, you know, all these things to him, and Jesus does not respond. And why is that, though? Because we know what Herod's heart was in that moment. He wanted to just see a miracle, he wanted to just put his authority above Jesus. So by Jesus being silent, he also shows us he had complete control of the situation, but also, too, it shows us he had the authority over the situation. And that's why he did not respond. It's because he was the one in control of this whole situation. And we know he was, because what does Ephesians 1 tell us? Right Before the foundation of the world, God has already set this plan in motion. And we know that this had to be, this had to happen to the Son. But next we see. And let me give you a little more here, because... It's hard for a lot of us to uh, silence our tongues, correct? Here's a quote for you. Whatever can elicit a response from you is what has its power over you. Think about that this morning. That whatever elicits a response from you is what has the power over you. So in that church meeting, do you know what had the power over me? Those people. Not God. So may we remember that when we respond in in evil ways or respond after someone has attacked us. The next point though, Christ entrusted himself to the Father. Verse 23. So when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So you think about this, as Christ entrusted himself to the Father, that is the same for us as we sit in here this morning, is that we must entrust ourselves to God day in and day out. as the only way that we can make it through these situations. So look at what he says there in verse 23. It says, He suffered and he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting So right there is this phrase of where it is constantly happening. He was constantly giving uh, giving it over to the Father. And as we look at the Gospels, is that not what we see in Jesus' life? Over and over and over again, He gave it to the Father. So as we face unjust suffering, what should we do? Give it to Christ. Christ give it to him before we say a word before we do anything we should give it to him and follow the example that Christ has set before us and entrust it to him and I love uh, not you don't have to flip there but this same phrase on, it, keep on he kept on entrusting himself it's the same phrase that he used in, in the gospel of Luke Luke 23. Right When he gave, he says, Father, I give myself to you. I've committed my my spirit to you, Lord. It is that same phrase, that same thing there that we see. And I love what he says next, though. To what, though? So as we continue to entrust God with our circumstances and all those things that we may face, who are we entrusting it to? To the one who does what? Judges righteously. To the one who judges righteously. And that's where we see our next point. Is vindication belongs to the Lord. May we remember that. Because what Pat had on me was 30 years of experience and probably 30 years of heartache. I didn't have that experience. But Pat knew this. Pat entrusted himself to the Father. But not only that, we see here that he knew that he was vindication was not going to come at his hand, it was going to come at the Lord's. And we must be reminded of that too, because we are not good judges this morning, correct? We stink. Um, I'm telling you, we, we've all made questionable judgments in our life, correct? Our, our judgments are faulty um, at best. But there's ones who, whose judgments are perfect. They're pure in every which way. And that is God's. So may we remember vindication belongs to the Lord this morning. And may that as we look to, to seek to have that in our life, we look like Jesus did. He knew that the Father was going to be the one who would judge one day. He knew all of this. His vindication was belonging to the Lord. I want to flip to one other place. And I'm not trying to chase rabbits here, but I want to say as true to the text as I can. But if you will... I want to just read Psalm 17 to you in light of vindication, in light of this that we see here. Psalm 17, verse 1 is where we'll pick up and we'll read through verse 7 here. When we think of this vindication that comes from the Lord. And here we have a prayer from David. And listen to his heart. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from the lips, uh, lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart and you have visited me by night. And you have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge and their adversaries at your right hand. So may that be our prayer when we seek this vindication uh, from the Lord. May we not seek it on our own terms. The next thing we see in this text says, God is the one who judges justly and Jesus entrusted uh, his life to that, that framework. Verse 24 gives us our next point. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree, that we might die to sin and to live uh, and live to righteousness by the wounds. By his wounds, you have been healed. So, because of Christ and what he has accomplished, is your next point. Because Christ has accomplished his mission, because he has accomplished this mission, we can do this this morning. Don't leave here and say, "Yeah, Brandon," he said all that about suffering unjustly, and the bar is here. There's no way you're. Gonna, I'm not going to be able to handle that. No. This is a passage in which we are to walk in His footsteps. So may we not walk out of here with excuses as why we can't do this. And the reason that we can do this is because Christ has accomplished it for us on our behalf. You think about that as the Spirit now indwells us as believers. And even what Mac read this morning. Uh, Look at Hebrews 2 with me one more time. Hebrews 2 Verse 16 and 17 says, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation of the sins of the people, to make a payment for them, for because he himself has suffered when tempted. This last part is what I love about this piece of scripture. He is able to help those who are being tempted this morning. So as we walk out of here today and we are being tempted when people treat us not the, unjustly. We have help this morning. We have a great high priest who has paved the way for us. Who has laid the foundation. And may we look to him this morning as our example, and as our helper. And that's what we see here. So because he has accomplished his mission, we know that this is possible. And the next little phrase here, though, it says that he himself bore our sins in his body on that tree. So all of this flows together. And we could even say, Uh, even suffering unjustly may lead to us losing our life, but there is something that none of us can do in this passage. And it is this right here. None of us in here can bear one another's sins. There was only one who could bear our sins, and it was Christ. So He Himself bore our sins in verse 24. On that tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. So let me, this is something I jotted down this week. The suffering of Jesus is clearly an example for us. But it is from a far, more than example, far more than an example to us. Far more than that this morning. And I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right? Him who knew no sin became sin for us this morning. May we not miss that truth out of this whole passage is that because Christ has accomplished His mission, He bore our sins, He defeated death, and doing all those things, we now in return can walk in His footsteps. But the next part, verse 24, also says something that even Dr. Allen has hit on uh, finishing up 1 Corinthians. He says here, we have been healed, is our next point. But look at at what it says there. By His wounds you have been healed. Healed. So think about that. That is a a two-fold uh, promise there, we could say, so to speak. There is the spiritual, which that has taken place by his death on the cross, but there is also a physical that we know one day will all be completed at the resurrection. And and I look at it like this. So if you're in here this morning and you're suffering with health problems, um, I had a health procedure this past week, um, and... Not going to lie, going in for the whole thing, I I was waiting for it to be bad news. I told my wife, I don't want you to hear from the doctor first. I want me to come too, and if there's something bad, I want him to tell me because I don't want you to be broken before I get in there and hear the bad news first. But think about that. There is a promise for us that as we suffer unjustly on this side of eternity, there is a promise, as we have seen in 1 Corinthians 15, that one day we we will be healed. Not only spiritually, but also physically. And we see that this comes from Isaiah Isaiah 53, verse 5. But may we not forget that this morning. That yes, spiritually we have been healed, but also too, there is a day coming where physically we will be healed. And what a glorious day that will be. But all this is made possible by the provision and by the work of our suffering servant this morning. It is only by his work on the cross that it can come to pass. In verse 25, he says, For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So, not only, what's the other thing that we see in this passage? Our direction has changed. Our direction has changed. So, and I find it ironic, I came to know the Lord at 23. So there is a long list of things that I had done wrong and all those things. But the one thing my wife could say to you right now is, Brandon is not the same person he was before Christ and after Christ. So as we encounter Jesus in this way and as he calls us to this, Our direction in life, it does change. The way in which we were going, because look at what he says in verse 25. For you were straying like sheep. Right? We were going on our own way, the way that we thought was best. But because of what Christ has done and because of everything leading up to this point, Christ has changed our direction. If not for Jesus' endurance under the persecution of the ungodly, we would still be going astray. You know that this morning. If it were not his persecution from the ungodly that we read in the the gospel accounts, all of us in here would still be going astray, going the way that we think is right, the way that would work for us. But his work for us has done one thing for us this morning it has returned us to the shepherd, to the good shepherd. I'm not saying Brandon and I'm not saying Dr. Allen here, I'm saying to the good shepherd. The shepherd who will not fail you. The shepherd who has been tempted and who has succeeded through all this perfectly. But as you read this passage, is it not ironic who it's coming from? Is it not ironic who it is coming from? It is coming from Peter. The man that we have the long list of things just like all of us do in here of things that we can say. We have screwed up royally for the kingdom of God. Peter has that list with us this morning. But what's beautiful is we see at the end of Peter's life, what did he finally get? He got this. This truth that he has given to us, he got it. And I pray that as we leave out of here, we would get it just as much. Because what, why did I gravitate towards Grace Church? It's because when I walked in this building, there was life. And I knew that the Spirit of God was here. Okay, And that is something to be thankful for this morning. But the only way that is possible is by what we read here and what Jesus has accomplished. And we see in the life of Peter that is the only way that it was accomplished because of what Christ has done this morning. So this morning, um, I'm not as long-winded as probably anybody else you've had up here. And not only that, when you're nervous, you speed through things, correct? Amen. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. (laughs) But think about this this morning. As Peter has called us to something that is higher above us, may we look to the true shepherd's example and may we follow step for step what he has called us to. And then you'll have more people that walk in Grace Church and say, there is something different about the people there. They don't speak evil. They don't do those things. You know, when you have bad experiences at church, do you know what tends to be the talk of your conversations? Bad experiences at church. Man, I wish they would have done this. I wish they would have done this better. All those things. And I'm looking at my, my, my buddy Robbie back there. So Robbie uh, was one of my deacons at Bethlehem. And, and I looked at him. There were many a nights where we would sit till 10, 11, 12 o'clock. And all we would talk about was our frustrations. All the things that we saw were wrong. We came here. Do you know what we do now? We see all the good things God has done. It's the changing of perspective. And if we will submit ourselves to God and hand it over to Him and entrust ourselves to Him, it'll change our perspective when we go through this unjust suffering that we experience. So let us pray this morning. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank you for who you are. God, there are no words to describe, Lord, the, the things that you went through for our, our sin, for our wickedness, for our rebellion, Lord. I'm reminded so much, God, of your love and of your grace, that, that you would come and endure what you endured and not open your mouth and not say a word to those who mocked you while you were hanging on that tree. But God, you trusted the plan that was set before the foundation of the world. Lord, so as we look at our own lives this week, God, as we face the unjust suffering that will come our way at some point, Lord, may we look to your example, to your footpaths, God, that you have set before us. And may we trust you even in the midst of the unsuffering, because it is something that you have called us to this morning. And if you have called us to it, Lord, we can trust and know that you will be beside us every step of the way. So, whatever the Lord's laid on your heart this morning, I pray that you would come. Collins up here, and anybody else, Lord.